Rituals are the foundation pulling us together, but it takes a community to support the rituals we need throughout our lives. Welcome to the journey of finding your community. Learn the knowledge of generations and how it applies to your everyday life. Tune in for an unconventional perspective on ancient wisdom and how it can change your life right now. I will tell you how to navigate this fast changing world with the power of the gifts you already have. Living your gifts with me, Susan Hawk, Ancient Applications for Modern Times starts now. Hi everyone, and welcome to Living Your Gifts, Ancient Applications for Modern Times. And I'm your host, Susan Huff, and I welcome you today and invite you to join me the second Wednesday of every month as we discuss topics to help you find your gifts in your community. I'd like to open today with a quote from Sabanfu Somme, my mentor and friend, to set our intention for the next hour. Let us give gratitude for all that happens to us, especially for the hard things, for they are the messengers of wisdom. Only then can we loosen our grip on old ways and let our lives change. Today, I wanna to talk about grief and grief is one of the most difficult topics to talk about in our culture. Other people's grief makes us uncomfortable because we don't know what to do with all that intense emotion. And we are taught to hold it inside and get on life, get on with life and suck it up. So grief is an interesting thing. And I believe that we as a society attach grief to loss, loss through such things as death, divorce, but we forget all the other things in between. There are so many examples of this to name a few dreams, expectations, preconceived ideas about what your life would be like through the years, loss of a job, loss of a relationship, change in a relationship, acknowledging illness limitations, getting older, children growing into adulthood, our fears, your own childhood, the unknown, natural disasters, global pandemics, and ancestral grief. And there's even more that, that gets emerged in it. So I'd like to thank Dr. Pat for co-hosting with me as usual, and I'd like to welcome our guest, Carlisle Coash, who has spent the last 25 years as a spiritual counselor in hospice and palliative care, creating hundreds of rituals and life transitions and assisting others to find clarity about the most essential elements in their lives. He works with trauma, grief, and major life changes with people of many ages, with the specialization in pediatric palliative care. Carla contributed to the creation of the book, Making Healthcare Whole, and has a chapter published in the Arts of Contemplative Care by Wisdom Press. Carla is a certified as a mindfulness meditation instructor and is the first Tibetan Buddhist practitioner to be board certified through the Association of Professional Chaplains. Carlisle and I have traveled to India and Nepal together and to Burkina Faso with Sabampu. We are also trained in Sabampu's tradition. We work together to promote Wisdom Spring, which brings water and education to communities in Africa and India. Welcome, Carlisle. It's great to have you here. Let's jump right in. Let's just go for it. All Sabampu. right. So Sabampu taught us so much about grieving. In fact, after meeting her the first time, I asked her to come and speak again to my community and she told me I needed to do a grief ritual. And I was so angry at her, Carlisle. Like I, I said, I don't need a grief ritual. What are you talking about? 
you know, I, I don't need that. And she's like, oh, honey, you need yourself a grief ritual. And I was like, what are you talking about? My parents hadn't died. I hadn't um, lost anybody major in my sure. life at that time. And I mm-hmm. was like, I'm not doing this. I mean, we, we did this for three months, back and forth and kind of irritable. And finally, she said, well, if you don't do it, I'm not coming back. <laughs> I was like, guess I'm going to do a grief ritual. And it's the best thing I've ever done the best ritual she ever taught me. And um, mm-hmm. I, I miss doing those rituals with her. And um, so what was it like when you first started working with Sabofo? Well, you know, it's funny, Susan, that you say that the just over the years, the number of grief rituals that I've been a part of, that same reaction is common of like, nope, 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 no, no, I don't need, I'm fine. I don't need any grief. What are you talking about? You know, people like running the grief ritual will literally be like, I'm fine. Sabamfu, I'll help out, but I don't need to grieve. And then about an hour in, they're sobbing in front of the shrine and, you know, it like all kind of comes to, to clarity. Um, I remember having grief envy. Yeah, yeah right. Like, I know that sounds really weird, but like yeah. thinking like, darn, that person is really letting it go. Right. Why am I not letting it go like that? So um, it was, Compet- it was pretty remarkable. Competitive grieving. Competitive. You know, I, I'm, you know but uh, yeah, the first ritual I did with her, grief ritual with her in Colorado, um, I think we were fortunate there and that we had a really a great core group of people, a number of whom were working in hospice and end of life already. So there was an opening or an interest and an understanding that often grief and grieving is something that gets kind of uh, pushed down and subsumed into our, into our experience. We, we either don't have time for it or we're not encouraged or we're encouraged for a very specific you know, period of time. So you get maybe a couple months to be sad and then come on, get out of it. And so what? So your parent died. Well, come on, let's, let's perk up and go back into regular life. And it just doesn't work that way. Um, you know, I think from my experience of doing uh, bereavement and running bereavement groups for, for many years, that you pretty much just assume that the first year um, after a, a major transition or loss um, is going to be that kind of first cycle of things. You might have lots of things that happen in, the, in that one year, but uh, the general rule of thumb is that you have to go through all of the anniversaries for at least once to kind of get a sense of what the path is going to be like. Um, and as Sabanfo often talked about, that if you have a complication to that grief, so if, if especially if it's a loss connected to a death that's traumatic or an upheaval that was uh, uh, very disruptive, that that will lengthen that period of time. So I, well, I mean, people... it's like an onion. It, it's like you take off one. I mean, I can remember thinking, okay, I'm taking off that first layer of grief. And wow, it's so frightening for people to go there because you're afraid you're just going to really lose it. But you don't realize that's what needs to happen. You need to lose right. it in order right. to get back to you. Right. Well, that's such an interesting idea of like, I'm going to lose it. What, what, what are you losing exactly? Like you're, it's okay. It's okay. Like there's not a... You're, you're suddenly going to not be a worse person by losing it or by expressing these emotions. In fact, it actually brings more resilience and strengthens you. Um, I think that the, 
people who are able to grieve and process the things that are occurring to them in terms of their relationship to change, um, they end up being more, uh, more able to adapt to uh, all circumstances that then happen ongoing. So uh, even the people that I worked with in hospice, the thing I always appreciated in my training as a chaplain was that every day you had to be very purposeful about processing and relating and kind of looking at the things that you might be holding. And since you're doing work often in, in very high stress, traumatic situations, you have to keep processing. And the thing that I always thought was kind of interesting is that that's not built into healthcare at all for healthcare workers. Like you don't, you maybe have a little bit to process, but for the most part, it's report what's going on. What are the things we have to do? Okay, get back onto the floor or get back, you know, out into the, the, the world and, and care for more patients. But I find that where a lot of grieving could be beneficial is for people who are in, who are actually the, the first responders, you know, the people who are uh, in the field doing the work, caring for people. Uh, because for me, to not be able to do that on a regular basis means that uh, I can become out of line, you know, come out of balance. Um, and it's not surprising to me that a lot of the healthcare practitioners I've worked with drink a lot, uh, you know, uh, use food as a way to kind of uh, dampen emotion because they don't have time to process, to kind of just uh, express the grief and the things that they're experiencing because they're in with grief all the time. Yeah, and in this pandemic, I mean, talk about grief right now. I mean, yeah. I can't even imagine. And, and I, you know, I never thought I would think something like a grief, um, Dr. Pat, we set up a grief shrine when you do this. You make a grief shrine and you literally go to it and you just let it go, but you don't go by yourself. You've always got somebody behind you having your back. And I think that's the hardest thing about what's happening now is this yeah. loneliness. Yeah, I, you know, one of the things is I, um, I have this experience, you know, uh, and I only needed this one time with the Dalai Lama. And then of course I followed his teachings around this and um, he was doing a conference and everybody's sitting around the room. And of course, really funny, sexually funny man, you know, got a <laughs> no. sense of humor, right? It's very funny. Um, and uh, one of his trusted um, colleagues walks in the room, monks comes in the room and whispered something in his ear. And in that moment, he dropped his head down and you could see the pain, right? Intense pain. You could feel it. He's got his head down. Not even that long. Picked his head up and went on. And later on, as the story goes, he discovered he lost his best friend, childhood friend, executed. And so I followed, I started to follow his teaching on this. Um, and he says some interesting things that for me, um, 
that rang true. And, you know, he talks about his own case. He's lost his respected tutor. I think that was that case, his mom, his brothers. Um, and he said when they all passed away, he was very, 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 very sad, right? But he kept thinking, and this stayed with me when I heard him say this. He said he kept thinking, right? You know, should I worry? Is there any use to worry? And his conclusion was, no, there's no use to worry. I really love these people. I love these people. And he then says, then, therefore, I must try, right? I, I must try my best to fulfill their, right? Their wishes, not my wishes. I must try to fulfill their wishes with a calm mind. And, you know, I remember him talking about the different, there are two forms of grief or, you know, sadness, grief. There are two forms, mental and physical. And he goes on to talk about this in a way that for me at this point in time in my life was so important. And, you know, there, there's so much I've read about this, so much I've done about it. But when you, when you hear something that resonates with you, it kind of stays with you. Um, and I love that he didn't discount this. See, we discount this in our society. You know, we discount, you know, the loss, the anxiety. And, you know, the teaching is that's natural to feel that. It's natural to feel that. He goes on to say, though, but if we allow those things, right, if we allow those feelings of loss uh, and worry to persist, there's a danger. You know, that's his language. There's a danger. And I would think to myself, what danger could there be? Is it going to be like a lion that jumps out and like takes my head off? It is like, yeah. and if you can hear him say it, there's a danger. Not, oh, there's an issue or there's a problem. But it's that word danger. And he says, if we let them continue where we feel a loss, but then now we create a whole story about the loss. Well, yeah. my mother passed away, but now I got this whole story. What if I'd have done this when she was here? Or what if we did this? Or can we, I, I mean, it just, he says, and, if that, and, and I never forgot this because this becomes my barometer for myself. And especially in the times we're going through now, we're going through extreme loss, extreme grieving. And we're not, we don't have grieving process for, for what people are losing right now. We just don't have it. Um, and what you're talking about is helping us understand that we can do something about it. But he said, if they go unchecked, it becomes self-absorption. And I thought, wow, are you right about that? That was the first 40 years of my life. You know, I find it fascinating because I, the process that, that Carla and I have been taken through for a long time, I, I think what it really did to me is made me feel like all loss is important. <laughs> all life losses to and there's no higher grief in some ways all those there's horrific things that happen but that if you have a place to take it then you can be released of it and not carry that baggage around with you anymore yeah. and, and rituals are so wonderful for i mean people think we have to have a big event to do a ritual i, I don't know if that's true for what you practice but i'm telling you I did a ritual for my car when I took my car in and I got my new car and, and, and 
So I'm curious about this teaching because what if the world could understand what you're sharing today? Well, I mean, I think think on a daily basis, if I get stuck in grief, which if you're working in this field, you're with grief all the time. You know, if I just don't like, I'll call Carlisle and say, I am messed up right now. Like I am feeling crazy and I don't want him to fix my crazy. I just want him to take, take a moment to be with my crazy. So then I can move through it. And believe me, Carlisle, we do that, especially when we get in our own wound up about whatever even we're working sure. on together. Life and like and it makes, if I can just take it to somebody and know I'm not alone in it, it's, it's just not as big. It, it doesn't seep into my body and make me ill because grief held in causes all kinds of damage. I mean, one of the things that is true, certainly in the Dagra tradition, is a blending of what would be called more maintenance ritual and then radical ritual. So you have to have both. You have rituals that are daily, in a sense, that you're doing things to maintain and kind of stay on top of, of stuff, the things that are, that are happening, because life and change is happening all the time. I mean, all the time. So but us, I think we think... We go through our lives and things are sort of changing, but we kind of, we put blinders on. And so the maintenance rituals kind of help to, to check in every day, even something as simple as having a little bowl of water by your front door so that when you come into the house after whatever day you've had, you sort of sweep off, all right, what am I car- Am I carrying anything? Like what just happened? I had, I spent two hours in traffic, so I might be carrying that energy. I want to let that go before I walk into my house and bring it into my home. That would be something that's very maintenance uh, focused. Even then, changing your clothes. Yeah, right? changing your clothes. There's so many, there's all sorts of variations of this. Um, but then you also, you, you blend that with more what would be considered like a grief ritual, a full grief ritual is considered a more radical ritual, partially because it's, you're bringing a little more attention. You, it's, it's, uh, it's going and doing some deeper work, and you have to do that as well. Uh, they may be less frequent, but you still do them, um, whether it's uh, grief ritual or, or any, any other kind of ritual in that tradition. And I think that that's, that very much translates to uh, the, the, the grief work and and training that I've had in my life where yes there is a if I've just had a major loss I'm I'm processing that and part of the tools to help me process this big thing often is doing very simple smaller things that help me to build some skills and to manage the feelings because grief it just doesn't get done in one day. It, you know, you go up and down. You may have days where you feel great, days that you feel like you've been knocked on your butt, uh, days that it's kind of like, I don't know what I'm feeling, or I feel foggy, sometimes I'm clear. And that could happen all in one day or in a week, you know, um, because it's, it's constantly changing. And so I think what we forget to do is respect grief. Uh, we tend to disrespect it. And, and then as the Dalai Lama is saying, like, there's a danger there because it, it means that something, just because you ignore it and take the grief that you're grieving and stuff it in the closet and lock it up and think, well, now I put it away. So it's just gonna, it's just gonna disappear. Well, that doesn't happen. 
it just sits there and gets kind of smelly, maybe a little stinky, you know, it's sitting in that little thing that you've locked in the cupboard and it's like, Hey, I'm still here. And at some point you're going to open this closet and it's going to be pretty harsh, but uh, we just figure if we ignore it, it will disappear. And that's very problematic because the people I've had come into a grief group who like, well, this loss happened, you know, 10 years ago. And, and even in the grief rituals that we would do with Sabanfu, people would come, yeah, this is so old. I don't really think it's a problem anymore. And then they've spent the entire two days in front of the shrine sobbing and like really kind of pulling out all of this deep stuff because it's like, no, it's, it's been waiting to be acknowledged, to be respected, that it's important what you're holding. Well, there's also the, the grief of the world that we all carry right now, too. I mean, oh, for sure. For you sure. know, even if your life seems pretty okay, you are affected by the grief around you. And so I would find myself up at the shrine crying about um, something that happened in the world a long time ago that wasn't even, I didn't think was even connected to me. Sure. So it, it's, it's interesting how, how it unfolds and unravels. Well, I think one of the things I'd like to ask each of you, though, is, you know, this is my observation, is that I wonder if we know how to recognize grief. I, I'm not even talking about, yeah, I recognize it, and I'm going to take a moment to be with it. I, I, I mean, literally recognizing that we're grieving and you know our youth our youth are so brilliant because they cut right to the chase all you need to do is to talk to a 13 year old who no longer can play competitive basketball um who had so many things going on and now doesn't is wondering am i going to be able to do the things i do and you know you can see it and hear it in the way they talk about their lives now and you know what they're going through and the sadness and what they're doing about it to the best that they can. Um, or if you're um, like me, you're, you know people that have loved ones either in assisted living or in places like Florida and they can't get to them, they can't see them. Um, that's a whole level of grief, but we're not calling it grief, right? Because we're putting our energy, I don't know, like getting mad, getting angry. And, you know, we're just not hitting the fact that, man, we've never really been. I'm trying to think of the last time something like this happened this way so quickly. And I'm just trying to think about that, right? And where it, where it affected an entire population. I mean, it is, this is a global transformation hmm. event. This really is. Um, and I was trying to think in my mind, was there a time where something like this showed up again? And I, and I came close, but I couldn't really nail it, where we had a collective consciousness of loss. And part of this, my friend said to me, um, talking about the show today, my friend said, Pat, you know that when you talk about grief, we have a deferred grief possibility. And I just looked at him and he said, yeah. He said, there are people that are grieving some of the things they did, but their pain is somewhat being eased because some accommodations. And he said to me, 
what happens when the reality of a new life now is so glaring in front of us? Just the transformation from what was to what is. And I could, I could just feel the agony in his own voice and talking about it. And I think that is a level of grief. I just never imagined that a collective like that for us. I just never imagined it. But you know what? We're not really talking about it. No, I think it's because it's too scary for people to even to address it because I don't even know if we've been taught what feelings are. So I even think it starts before grief is what what are you feeling? You know, and I think to give that language is so important. You know, you they have those little signs, you know, in therapist office, what are you feeling? Are you feeling sad? Are you feeling, you know, there's so many different levels. But I think if we start to even just start with feelings, mm. hopefully we can start to then translate it to the grief and then to be able to release it mm. because anger is is not a bad thing. It's what you do with the anger that's that's the, the, the problem. And it's the repressed anger that then builds and makes people do so many screwed up things, right? Not the actual anger is showing us, oh, wait, pause, I'm feeling angry. Hmm, <laughs> you know, now what do I do? Yeah, you know, let's take a short break, but before we do, can we talk to and let people and let them know, one, how they can find out about what you both are talking about you know, about Sabanfu, about the work that you do, if we could just take a minute. So for people listening, if we, if they want to find out more and become part of this, how do they do that, Susan? You, for me, you go to livingyourgifts.com, but for our, our nonprofit that both Carlisle and I are part of, it's wisdomspring.org. And, and that's um, where we help women and children and all people in India that we can in India and Africa um, to get water and education. And we work with teenagers and help them find their gift and help them to have a place to take what they're feeling and bring that out into the world and translate it into the service work. And Carlisle, is there anything else uh, with you that you want to share? Uh, no, I'm at the moment, uh, I don't have a handy website. <laughs> okay, good. All right. So uh, we'll talk about this more and make sure people are, uh, are on board. Um, Susan, we've got a couple of things uh, planned special for when we come back. Let's just give people a sneak peek of where we're going when we return from break. Well, I'm, we're going to talk about right now, we not only have our individual grief, we also have compound and collective grief. So nobody is immune from grieving now. So it's just ways to kind of cope with that grieving and how to move forward and also to continue to do our work in the world in the way we can be of service. I love it. Let's take a short break, Benny. Um, Olivia, let's take a short break. When we come back, more with Susan Carlisle, Living Your Gifts, talking about what happens in the releasing of grief. You know, many of us don't even think that's possible, but they're both here today to share with us a process that was shared with them by Savanthu where we can literally transmute that energy. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. Message delivery by Lisa Ann. You can't make this stuff up. Tune in every first and third Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. 
Message Delivery is an inspirational show about the journey to enlightenment and spirituality. For more information or your own personal message delivery, visit angelmessages2u.com. That's angelmessages, the number two, the letter U, dot com. Have you ever wondered what your pets think about? Do you know what your pets are saying to you? Dr. Monica will be your pet's translator to help you understand what your pets are trying to communicate to you. Enhance the bond with your furry friends on Pets Talk with Pet Communicator, Dr. Monica, each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. For more information about Dr. Monica, visit PetCommunicator.com. It's time to get your life back on Burn Bright Today with Jennifer Marcinelli. Tune in each month on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Learn to move from the darkness of burning out to the light of burning bright. Jennifer is redefining stress and the energetic causes of burnout, shining a light on process to get your life back. For more information about Jennifer and her work, visit burnbrighttoday.com. Tune in to The Truth is Funny with Colette Steffen each Wednesday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern on TransformationTalkRadio.com. This hit show will have you thinking outside the box and riding the wave of infinite potential. Join Colette on the Higher Self Network, inspiring listeners to shine their brilliance and ensure success while roaring with laughter as they recognize the humor of the giant cosmic joke. Visit TheTruthIsFunny.com. Raising the vibrations through stimulating conversations while exploring the mysteries of Atlantis and Lemuria on Tales from the Mer World Radio with me, Amira Beth. Join us every second and fourth Thursday at 1 p.m. Pacific on TransformationTalkRadio.com. Be ready to feel empowered and an active part of the changing earth. For more information about me, visit AmiraBeth.com. The Truth is Funny, Shift Happens with Colette Marie Steffen is excited to welcome Karen Benton as a monthly guest host. Tune in on the third Wednesday of each month at 8 a.m. Pacific time to regain confidence and trust in your capacity to create change in your life, your health, your family, and your well-being. Karen Benton is a mother, nurse practitioner, certified body talk practitioner, Franklin Method instructor, and owner of Limitless Living LLC. For more information about Karen, visit KarenBenton.com. Welcome back to Living Your Gifts, Ancient Applications for Modern Times, and I'm your host, Susan Huff, with Carlisle and Dr. Pat, and I want to welcome you here, and I want to just remind you of this beautiful quote that Sabonfu said, let us give gratitude for all things that happen to us, especially for the hard ones, for they are messengers of wisdom. Only then can we loosen our grip on old ways and let our lives change. I just love that. Um, and it makes me remember just the gratitude I had of being with her in Africa, Carlisle, and us traveling over there and being told one morning, there's a grief, grief ritual happening. And, you know, she says, would you like to go? And I was like, oh my gosh, yes, because we'd done it, you know, many times in the States, but I knew it wasn't going to be the same, you know? And you also knew that over there, it you did that it didn't matter who came. People came even if they didn't know the person who had passed away. It was an opportunity to grieve, period. Anything, 
Yeah, that's actually one of the things that she spoke of when she would talk about how grief was managed in her culture is grief rituals happen pretty frequently because they usually happen connected to someone who's died. And it's, so it's felt that if something is going amiss in community, so if there's, if the elders are like, something's up, there's more conflict, or we feel like there's something off, usually pretty quickly they can figure out, oh, I think there's some grief that's not being grieved. And if you had, a, if you had grief that you weren't expressing, basically the elders would say to you, um, go find a grief ritual. Like you're not actually worse than you, you need to leave. Or if we have one, we'll do one here. But there's a grief ritual happening in the next village, go. And you can't come back until you grieve. And, and do you remember what happened? Some yeah. people didn't go, remember? And That's then true. it became this whole hoopla in the village that that three people out of our, uh, who traveled with us, Dr. Pat, didn't go. And yeah, they, they, they weren't were interested. Yeah. not happy. Like, were, I don't want to go to a grief ritual. I'm, I don't I'm not go. grieving. And in yeah. fact, when we got there, the elders were like, um, wait, where are, the, where are those people who were part of your group? Because they actually needed to be here. Like, so they even recognized what was off. Um, and they woke Savanku up in the middle of the night and gave her grief about not <laughs> getting us, getting everybody at the grief ritual. And she kept saying, it's not the same. Like they didn't understand that you can't make, a, you know, yeah. and go to the grief ritual. But it, it didn't, you know, it was quite the hoopla. Yeah, it was quite crazy that, that day. And it's but only beautiful. by doing that, like by, by going and doing that work and then coming back, you then help the entire community be more balanced, more healthy. Uh, that's just such an, like, I don't, we just don't think that way. I think we think of our own little, our own lives, our own little globe, or our, we as a planet and our little universe, we think of that little solar system, but we don't necessarily think that, that we might be affecting all these other planets and universes that are around us and all the different people. And so um, there's a way in which the health of the community is benefited by the work the individual does. Um, as, and if you screw up, you're not seen as somebody horrible. You're seen as somebody who's um, bringing a message that something needs to be cleaned up in the village or culturally even. And I, and I, and that to me was like, it takes the burden of like, oh, I, I messed up off, off of you individually and makes it be more, like you said, that more holistic viewpoint of like, what can we do together yeah. to make things work out in, our, that, in our community? This, the, you know, the grief ritual is connected to the water element and, you know, water in, in her village is not just about grief, but it's also about conflict resolution and working on things like if emotions are stuck, right? If thing if it isn't flowing, then there can be discord. And what just from what Susan was mentioning, the three people who didn't go, when we came back from that ritual, there was a, you know, there was a, uh, Sabanfo actually had said, actually the elders wish you were there and the three people who hadn't come got very angry and upset. And suddenly this, there was an argument that kind of- I think exploded. I might've been in the middle of that. <laughs> you were, you were a little bit, um, but it was also because most of this group 
had done training together, so they knew each other pretty well. And there was a lot of old grief that was still there, but unspoken. And suddenly it's erupted. We're sitting in Sabamp. Her family um, had a little uh, little compound with a couple of houses. Uh, uh, and while this argument was happening, kind of out of nowhere, one of the water element representatives for the village appeared. And it literally was like she appeared out of nowhere. She wasn't around. This, this is in the village, things are a little bit isolated. So homes and things are spread out over a, over a fairly large area. It just felt like the water person, I, in my mind, I feel like the water element uh, representative was on the other part of the village and like her, her radar, you know, was like, what, something's going on. And she just appears. It was crazy. And begins to do conflict resolution with this group of people. Kind of, she would look around and she'd point to someone and go, you're holding something. What are you holding? You need to, you need to bring it out right now. And I'm not holding anything. Come on. I know you're holding something. And eventually everyone was expressing these things that were years old, like grief and anger and upset and but well, you did this thing to me you know the ancestral stuff yeah like oh so old stuff and after it was over you know she had kind of cleared the room and then as to end that particular experience everyone takes a spit of water and spits it on the ground to say basically i'm cooled my speech you know i've cooled the thing all the stuff that i was holding and i've spoken it and it was difficult but now it's out and now we can work on it like the fact that it's out isn't problematic because now we can work on it if i if, if i don't know you're holding a grief say about me and and we keep being in relationship but that grief is still unspoken and you're still not expressing it it's gonna come out in ways that are gonna be yeah. weird or like wow why am every time we do this thing like I get this kind of energy or I get kind of cut off or I feel like there's something up. But if I ask, the person says, nope, everything's fine. It's like, no, I know it's not fine. And that's that thing in, in the ritual there. That's a maintenance ritual, but it is connected to a grief ritual, um, which would be more of a, a, yeah. of a radical ritual that these things work hand in hand so that then we can do deeper work when we go and do a grief ritual. And, Which then and, takes it back to what we were saying at the beginning is if we don't speak it to somebody, it stays stuck and held in. Yeah. And that's the first step is just even trying to figure out what's in there, you know, or allowing it to percolate enough for me to say to Carla, oh, I'm struggling with, with you even, but it's usually just about yourself, but it then makes it all kind of open up and get cleared out in a different way. And I don't think we know how to do that in this culture. And that's why I love what she taught us to take the time to really go there and not push it aside. Mm -hmm. That's a, that's a maintenance ritual right there. Just talking about what you're feeling. Yeah. You know, one of the things I'm struck by, and I really want to touch upon this before we run out of time. Um, and I'm interested to hear your thoughts about it. You know, I'm a, I'm a girl from the Bronx. I never thought in a million years, first of all, that I would have the life that I have and even be talking to you two, really. <clears throat> what an honor to even to even be able to say the uh, somebody's name like Savanfu, right? Mm -hmm. 
And what I'm really struck by is I'm listening to you both, and I just want to make sure we get at it. I thought about my friend Monica and um, the experience I had about a five-year period in my life. I'm trying to think of the year. I can't remember it, but I was doing the shows. It had to be like three. I can't remember exactly, but there's a program, a coming-of-age program, kind of like what you're doing, Susan, with these amazing young people. But this was a nine, just a nine-month program. <clears throat> Monica really headed up nine-month program and we we took these kids in at, at i think there was age nine to 13 and for nine months they went on this journey and in the journey there were many rituals but the one journey the one in particular that i remember was when each of the kids was asked to bring something of importance to them that they were going to let go of and I've watched this. And here's something I want to ask you about. I was learning about the Lakota. And I was learning about the Lakota, one of the original Native American tribes who lived and hunted in North American Plains. I was also given the history of these people, the gruesome separation of children from mothers and fathers and I'm struck by thinking about Savanthu mm -hmm. and what she and the people of her land went through suffered through see and the reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a way to talk about grieving and then there's a life where you learn about grieving and see that's what I hear in your message it's like when I had the honor, and I'm telling you, it is an honor when you are a white person like me. It is an honor when a group of people in their so precious rituals wants to share that with you. It is shocking. I don't even have words to explain. But as I'm listening to you, I just had this flashback of this young woman who had something special in her hand. God, I don't think I can, just really gut-wrenching for me. And I watched this young woman who I was mentoring take that object in this ritual and throw it in the fire. And then I watched the results of this young woman mature and grow up and look in her life. And see, I want people to hear that from you because this is truly a message of a woman that has gone through the suffering, the pain, the agony of what her people went through and is willing to share this ritual with the world. That's my take on what you're talking about. Yeah, and I don't think it was easy. You know, I don't think it was easy for her to leave her village that was a safe container, even though they had no water. I mean, the only thing she wanted, like when she was asked, what do you want from here? What, could, you know, here in the United States? And she said, the only thing I can think I want to bring to my people is water. Because they had this richness of connection. They, they did know what it was like to suffer, but they also knew how to get to the other side of the suffering and to bring joy back into 
just knowing what it's like to be alive and connected. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That's what I'm trying to say. The reason that you both can talk about it the way you're talking about it is because the, there is such power in this. There is such transformative, transmutative power in the rituals that you do and you share and you share with these young people that if we don't keep the dialogue going, it is a lost art. It is lost. I mean, you saw my teens on the show express their grief like unlike other kids have stepped onto a show. They don't do it like that. These kids are learning through our project. I mean, Carlisle and I talk about this all the time. Like we love, we bring water to the indigenous people in India and Africa, but I love that I get to work with these teenagers and help them find their gift and be able to take their expression in a, in a way that I wasn't given I, and wasn't able to do as a child and as a teenager, and it transforms them, and it makes them step into their leadership and find their way. Unlike any other thing I think we really do in Wisdom Spring, I think that's as much of the gift as the water is to take to the people that need it. Because we are a culture of loneliness and isolation. Don't you agree, Carlisle? I mean- I do. I think that we, in general, have lost the ability to bear witness to others that something is and you think that that seems that seems pretty simple right to bear witness to to listen to somebody's story to actually be grounded and present enough to not be checking your phone while someone is sharing but you know like actually being present and listening i've just over the last 25 years and even before that the times in which all I would do is just listen to someone's story. And this is especially true in hospice, that when someone is dying, they just want to know that their story is being heard. And that, uh, that ability for me to sit and listen to a story and reflect it back that they know that I listened can be profound for people. It's not, yeah. it's not by accident that in the grief ritual that, you, we, do in, that we did in Burkina, there's literally an entire village watching the grief shrine. There's 500 yeah. people sitting watching the grief happen. And they're not like making fun of you. They're like, they're holding space because that's what you do for each other. Um, you know, when, when I actually walked up to the shrine there, so because these are grief rituals connected to death, to often to a death, the family was there and the family all generally wear a particular type of necklace so you can bear, you know who the family is of the person who died. And so I'm up there, I'm grieving, I'm grieving of my mom and um, kind of out of nowhere, the sister of the woman who died comes right up to me and I can know that she's the sister because she's wearing this particular necklace and I know she's family and she has tears stream like streaming down her face and she is talking to me in Dagra. I do not speak Dagra. Okay. But she is like, she's comes right up to me and is talking to me and I'm talking to her. She doesn't understand English, but we have a communication because we're witnessing something about each other. We're, wit we're witnessing that shared experience of grief that then by doing so something shifts. Like we're actually being able to let something go because I'm being seen and she's being seen. 
and we hold each other in that moment. And then she left and I left and I didn't see that person again. It's not like, you know, we're not texting, you know, that, you know what I mean? Like we don't have, like, it's just this one moment, but I am forever changed because that person witnessed me. It's such a simple act. And um, I think if we were to able to do that more in a very, uh, in a very focused and grounded way, I think that transforms people. I think this is a reason, Susan, why the, the kids that you work with uh, as part of the program, really they, they begin to trust and appreciate and want to come and gather because I think they feel seen and heard and that doesn't always happen. And so it's like they get glossed over because, well, you're a teen, what do you know? Um, and well, they, they have some experience, they have something, you know, maybe- They, have a, they yeah. have a light that hasn't been dimmed. And if you can get them early to start to communicate what they're feeling, then they, they, have, they, they, have, they can shine it even brighter. I mean, it's not so clogged up inside of them. If they give it, and Dr. Pat so eloquently helped them to speak it on the radio. And I don't know, I walked away that day, Dr. Pat was like, oh, so proud and so honored to have witnessed how you brought them to that on, on the radio and how they stepped right in, you know? It was just yeah. beautiful. I went back and I listened to that show and every once in a while I'll go back and listen and I shared it with one of my Lakota friends and uh, the woman that mentored me in the um, coming of age. And, uh, and, you know, the way that she described what she heard was truth tellers. They are the truth tellers of our future. And we have to find more ways to give them a voice. And, you know, I have to tell you, uh, there's not enough time in this show to talk about what they are doing to lead this mega transformation. Um, I had somebody ask me the other day, they said, are you gonna interview Greta? And, and I said, I would love to interview Greta. And, uh, and, and so many people. And my friend said to me this, why aren't you doing more with kids, Pat? I mean, you, you know, you know who Greta is, you know who Hannah is, the television series. Why, why are you so connected to the youth and you're not doing enough with them? And those words, holy cow. And I said to her, and I, I was, at first I was like, a little bit annoyed and then I said dang are you the truth teller and it hasn't left me Susan um but what you're sharing both of you and I want to leave you with this because you know I mean this hour goes so quickly there's a ritual that you have learned that must be shared with the world I'm not sure how you do it but I know that what I'm hearing and the guides that I'm getting to tell you that is you must figure out a way to do this with massive amounts of people, you must figure out a way to share this ritual at a global level, even with some cameras on foot on land, you, there's got to be some way you figure out how to create something for people. Because if we don't create something around what's happening now, the loss that our children, our parents, adults, age old, 
older and younger, what they're feeling, the loss they're feeling. It's like Saban Fu said, it's like the Dalai Lama said, the grief will stay with them forever. What's your personal message? What do you guys want to leave us with today? I just want to give gratitude to Carlisle and to you, Dr. Pat, for making this part. And I'd like to leave with a small ritual that just to bring in peace. Hmm. And um, it's a drink and peace ritual. Since we often struggle with sadness and trauma, after you get up from bed, take a glass of water and call on the energy of the water to ask for peace to come into your body, your life, your home, your day, and into the world. As you take your first sip of water, tea, or coffee, ask to be refreshed, renewed, and prepared for the day. Ask for ease and letting go of any struggles you have or may come to you throughout the day. Every time you take a drink during your day, repeat the ritual to be filled with peace in your body, your life, your home, and into the world. With each sip, connect with the water and imagine it moving through you, cleansing and awakening a deeper knowing. And take the time to reach out and talk to other people about how you're feeling so that you can be heard and that they can feel heard. And if you wanna take it even a step further, when you're bathing, imagine showering and repeating the prayer, asking for peace in your body, your life, your home, and into the world. And Carlo and Dr. Pat, thank you so much. And this is livingyourgifts.com. And if you want to know more about our work with teens, it's wisdomspring.org. And Carlo, you have an, an upcoming um, event you're doing, right? Um, I teach a class uh, Monday nights um, through a, a wonderful group called the Philosophical Research Society uh, that's up here in Los Angeles. And uh, it's prs.org, and that's on Monday nights. And then they also have online classes, and I've taught a couple of times now a grief class, a five-week uh, grief class, getting people kind of to step in and explore their grief process, which has been interesting to do online, kind of virtually, but, uh, but people, you know, do the work. And I do Zooms every Wednesday and Friday at 5, and we're always talking about grief and letting go and being – um, really connected to each other and, and listening to what what's really going on with one another and sharing that space. And that's all every Wednesday and Friday at five. You've been listening to Living Your Gifts, ancient applications for modern times. Now go out and face the world with your powerful, unique self. You get to be you. Now that is radical. Show the world what you learned and help make it a little bit better each and every day. To learn more about me, please visit www.livingyourgifts.com. That's livingyourgifts.com.